Welcome to Dear Human Resources. In each episode, you'll hear about current HR topics and trends from experts, both practitioners and researchers, with the goal of giving you an insider's look at human resources. For today's podcast, I'd like to welcome not just one guest, but two guests, Patine Moulin and Dr. Siham Lecherry. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I'm so honored to participate to this podcast today. Thank you, Dr. Germain, for having us. I'm very looking forward to our podcast today. Thank you. So our conversation today is going to focus on gender equality in the workplace in North Africa, and specifically in the country of Morocco. So let me tell you a little bit about who our guests are. Fatine Moulin is a, a state engineer in software engineering and management and a graduate of a university in Morocco. She has worked uh, for large companies such as MSI, which is Management Systems International, and Toyota in Morocco, where she was a planning coordinator. She founded Alakwaham, and I'm sorry for the pronunciation here, you can probably correct me later on, um, University's IT Innovation Center. She's also served as a project manager for several strategic and organizational consulting projects, including the World Bank, uh, the World Bank Group, the World Health Organization, USAID, the EU, and other private and public institutions. Fatin was selected by the U.S. Embassy to represent women entrepreneurs in the International Leadership Program, and she currently advises companies on gender diversity strategies. Thank you for being with us, uh, Fatin. Siham Lekshari is an assistant professor of human resources at Western Carolina University. Her PhD is from Indiana State University. Dr. Lekshari is currently leading a global research project on managerial effectiveness in Morocco. Her research really focuses on the challenges women face in the workplace in male-dominated countries. Uh, So Morocco is definitely part of her expertise here. Prior to her career in academe, Siham was an HR consultant in Morocco, and she has worked on numerous consulting projects uh, in several African countries, including Morocco, of course, Mali, and Senegal. So welcome, both of you, to our podcast. The first question really is about uh, gender equality and economic Uh, inclusion in Morocco. Can you tell our listeners why those topics are relevant to Morocco? Fatin? So thank you, uh, Dr. Jermaine, for your introduction. Um, Before answering to your question, please let me quickly place Morocco geographically and uh, culturally. So as a country part of both the greater Maghreb and the Arab world, it's located in Northwest Africa as you said, and the Moroccan territory is bounded uh, to the north by Strait of Gibraltar and the Mediterranean Sea, and to the south by Mauritania, and to the east by Algeria, and to the west by the Atlantic Ocean, just to place quickly Morocco geographically. So we are at the crossroads of three worlds between um, Africa, the Mediterranean, and Europe, and which makes our country the true melting pot of civilizations. So its political system is democratic, social parliamentary, uh, constitutional monarchy, 
and it's a Muslim country with the Islam as a uh, main religion and the Islam of the middle way, as we said, so it's open and tolerant as well. So we can say that the Moroccan people have a plural and the diverse, and here I underline the diverse cultural identity. Um, getting back to diversity and the gender equality in Morocco, uh, I would say that Morocco, um, in Morocco, gender equality occupies an increasingly important place. Uh, in the public debates uh, among diverse stakeholders, we can cite like the uh, civil society, researchers, uh, government officials, and people started to be aware of the importance of gender uh, for the development of the country. So Morocco has launched several projects that aimed at promoting equality between men and women uh, through the adoption of several structural reforms. Um, there has been some parts of the constitution that established the equality between men and women and how they can equally enjoy uh, civil, political, social, economic rights and environmental ones. And also, I would say, environmental freedoms. According, of course, to international conventions uh, that were really ratified by Morocco. I would say that the uh, objective of in integrating gender into this public debate and giving the sense that having these uh, structural reforms regarding to gender were, I would say, part of the environment, not only the strategies and plans of the ministries, but also within the budgeting. Uh, we had like maternity leave officially uh, given uh, to women here in Morocco since 2004. We created so many authorities for parity and fight against discrimination. Uh, we have a quota today in the parliament. Uh, we have some uh, laws to combat violence. So we have, I mean, all what we need today as a foundation and, and fundamental structure to work on gender equality. But however, I mean, despite all these legislative and structural advances, the inequalities between men and women, they, are, they still persist, both not only in laws, but also in the social and the economic and the cultural uh, domains. So such disparities uh, can favor not only inclusion of women, but also poverty because it's, I mean, very related. And they can negatively impact uh, women's enjoyment of their civil and political uh, rights. And of course, they can limit their participation in the management of public affairs. Today, these topics are really relevant to Morocco because we started to be aware of the importance of this topic economically, but also socially. So you say, thank you, uh, Fatin. You say, you know, today, does that mean that all the policies and the efforts that you've just talked about, are they fairly recent? I mean, we're in 2020, right? So when did it become aware that women had to play a, a bigger role in society? The real efforts, we started to see the real efforts like during the last two decades. And very, very big projects are going on. Like since 1990s, we started signing some conventions, international conventions. We, we launched so many projects, as I said, but we started like feeling the changes since 1990s. So the main efforts were put 
into actions, I would say, uh, during these two last decades. Thank you. So, Dr. Lekshiri, we'd like to hear about your take on that question on, on gender equality and uh, economic inclusion in Morocco. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Fatin has mentioned some very important, um, you know, a lot of good information. Um, what I would like to add is she mentioned something very important, basically, that we have only started uh, in the last two decades to become more aware of these issues and addressing them through, you know, um, legislations and laws that uh, will enable more women to enter, enter the workplace. But, you know, due to even the stricter roles for women in uh, this type of cultures, there still has been a great deal of pushback for professional women in the workplace, uh, which is often rationalized through the use of political and economic reasoning. Um, for instance, um, and this was based on an empirical study done in 2004, as you know, Morocco is, does not have a lot of empirical evidence. So this is where my role comes as I'm trying to, you know, study, investigate and publish more on, uh, you know, this, uh, this cultural context. So for instance, this the small to moderate number of working women and data from Morocco, which suggests that a percentage of the population welcomes women's inclusion in the workplace. Professional women are still seen as one of the main causes of men's rising unemployment rate. And um, another study that was done in um, early 2010 or 2011, uh, also an empirical study, uh, suggested that even with only 28% of the, you know, uh, of the workplace being made up by women, the impact of their unemployment is really minimal to non-existence. So again, uh, it really reflects, um, you know, how women in the workplace are still being perceived. I mean, this is, this was a study that was done in 2011, uh, and it still reflects you know, what the majority of the society still thinks, that women are the main cause of rising uh, men's unemployment rate when it actually doesn't even have uh, a big impact. So it sounds like the perception has really changed over the years, especially in the past uh, a few decades, maybe 20 years. So how do younger individuals, uh, the younger generation, millennial the millennials and Gen Z uh, in Morocco perceive gender equality compared to, say, their parents or their grandparents? It's true that we used to see our step-grandmothers staying home and hoping for men to do everything. But I think that started changing because first of education, um, then of the mentality change, especially from people or students who go abroad for studying, and also because of this political will. So we cannot ignore the fact that Morocco started to be an open country, you know, uh, not only from a technical point of view because of the internet and the worldwide web and so on, but also from like a boundaryless country in, ter in terms of exchanges. Um, so Moroccan women started to have more uh, ambition, more, um, they, they started imposing themselves and they started demonstrating that they have excellent um, capacities of learning, excellent capacities of working as well. Uh, they, they are better maybe at problem solving, at conflict resolution. And that makes, I mean, smart men and um, smart managers 
seeing gender equality as a must as, and as an opportunity to seize. When they see that their performance in the company is better because of including, including more women and reaching a certain equilibrium, so they, they started seeing that they need to even either recruit more women or having like really diverse uh, teams. So I think that the perception has really changed over the years. And just as technology evolved, just as we don't see boundaries, that just as we, just as the openness started to be a way of living, we start seeing diversity as well, like um, giving birth. And however, we should not, as Siham said before, we should not, uh, deny that the heritage we have of the cultural and the mentality um, and the stereotypes also is leading into specific um, in stereotypes that are impeaching the closing of these gaps. I remember reading a, a report from the IMF a few years ago, the International Monetary Fund, saying that women around the world, you know, when women participate in the economy, it's actually better for the GDP of the country. So the, um, do you think that those changes in the past 20 years um, are mainly because the culture of Morocco is changing, or is it more of a, an economic necessity? What, what, what do you think? Is, is it a balance? Is it both? Is it one more than the, than the other? I think it's both because people started uh, understanding that because to reach uh, a better economy and to reach a better performance, we need to have both men and women. Mm. And the same thing socially. In order to succeed, in order to live well, in order to have a certain equilibrium, we need uh, to engage women and men at the same time. There is a demand from the younger generation to be part of that change. Younger women exactly. want to be part of it, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because now the younger generation, uh, especially women who want go to study abroad, they come back and they need to be on the best places and the and like managers, engineers. So they impose themselves. So whenever you see a woman like working in great uh, company, she will drive with her other woman. So, I mean, the, this automatic view of uh, working together is established now. However, if we see the numbers, we don't feel that these changes are, are really uh, operational. Because if we look at the uh, World Economic Forum, the, their last report of the 2020, um, this year, um, Morocco ranks 143rd out of 153 countries in 2020 with a gender gap of uh, 0.605. So it was, it's a decrease from 0.627 from 2006. And today the uh, activity rates of female in Morocco, actually we have one of the lowest activity rates within these uh, 153 rate, uh, 53 countries. Uh, we are ranked 146 out of one, 153 countries. Mm. So this rate has generally been decreasing for the past two decades. And now it stands at just like 60% into 2020. We can see also that women represent 57% of the domestic workers. So you see that it's 
specific. And 20% of the salaried employees, 12% of the independent workers, and only a like, small percentage of the uh, real employees. Is it a priority now to attract and retain uh, female workers? In other words, have some Moroccan organizations led uh, any initiatives to improve gender equality in the workplace? And, and, and can you think of examples? And again, are they trying to attract and retain female workers? Yeah, definitely. So the Moroccan, if we take this, because before reaching the institutions and the companies, we, we need to see this from the uh, a governmental point of view, because it's like the, um, the one that pushes, you see. So the Moroccan government is working to extend access to economic opportunity and advances and advancement to I mean, as many women as possible through efforts related, especially to the informal sector, um, work-life balance, and other gender equality international programs, of course, focused on entrepreneurship, employment, and financing. Mm -hmm. So, and now, during this last month, the government also is working to mitigate the tremendously gender imbalanced impact, impacts of the COVID-19. So the economic opportunity for women is critically important in its own right in support of this holistic well-being of all Moroccans, including women. So when women are financially independent and advance into leadership positions, they become less uh, vulnerable to exploitation and their families become more stable, the national economy grows, the women are able to exert important influence across all spheres of society. So we can reach this because we think that um, gender equality is definitely a priority now. So we don't only ensure the women's economic rights, but also we fight discrimination in the professional environment, we promote equal economic opportunities, uh, equal economic and administrative opportunity through the um, pay equality, which is a big subject we can talk about later, uh, equal access to resources and technology, and we can guarantee through the gender equality, decent work conditions, like promoting work-life balance, ensuring that we have good and normal work conditions to reach this gender equality. So in terms of initiatives, um, I know that the majority um, of the international donors initiated economic inclusion projects, the majority. I mean, I don't say that the government is not doing anything, but the practical projects and the initiatives are specially launched by the international organizations. Personally, I participated uh, uh, to implement few of them, like uh, the Econoin project that was initiated by the GIZ, the German corporation, and that helped uh, Moroccan companies and international companies uh, established in Morocco to uh, implement uh, gender strategies. Um, so it was like in banking, in the automobile sector, in the aeronautics, in the pharmaceutical sector as well. 
So the idea here was to have a gender analysis first and then see how we can retain, promote women within the company and then how we can uh, implement this gender action plan. Uh, another project that was very, very interesting and that was financed by the U.S. Department of Labor is called Wadaiyati, so in English is uh, my situation. And this project aimed to uh, reinforce women inclusion within the professional environment. So the same thing, there was uh, analysis of the gender environment with several companies and um, we had... Uh, a common project with the Moroccan Department of Labor to train uh, labor inspectors to include some reflex of having gender um, mainstreamed actions within their inspections um, uh, processes. And other, of course, other initiatives I can say, like the EBRD one, Women in Business to Encourage Entrepreneurship. The UN Women also launched uh, several initiatives. The British Corporation and the Belgium Corporation also launched um, very, very nice projects to have women included within the workplace. You know, in the US, uh, w one of the major obstacles that a female find um, to ascend to higher positions beyond director positions is the lack of women being in those roles, uh, specifically in, in some industries, in some professions. So are there industries and or professions where women in Morocco are not typically welcomed? Uh, and perhaps Dr. Dr. Desherry, uh, since your, your research focuses on that, Tell us a little bit about what you think uh, those industries and professions might be. You really mentioned a very good point there. The lack of role models is basically what, or having role models, it would ha what helped women advance into uh, breaking or shatter that glass ceiling. For instance, um, in Morocco, soccer, which is also known, which is known in Morocco as football, it's not just a sport. It's part of a culture. It is, um, uh, it is a religion to people basically there. And so they live and breathe soccer every single day. Um, soccer is known as a sport for men only. And so when women uh, try to start uh, or engage in soccer as a passion and as a profession, then they face backlash. Having good role models is, is you, you know, is, is very important, especially we've seen um, uh, in the past few years when uh, uh, the U.S. Uh, women's national team won. And that basically helped so many young Moroccan women realize that soccer is actually not just for men. So... For instance, when young men see a young Moroccan woman practicing soccer or trying to, you know, uh, engage in soccer as a career, um, they're, they face backlash. And, and that, that basically is, uh, can be summarized in one word or maybe a small sentence that says, go back to your kitchen. This is the stereotype. This is what they continue to be told. And, and you know, in order to understand that backlash and the mechanisms behind the aggression uh, these women face in industries like, uh, you know, uh, sports that are specifically uh, seen as only uh, designed for men, uh, we really want to turn into the backlash theory, which places its foundation into the idea that 
on individuals' adherence to their prescribed gender roles determines the way in which others perceive and treat that person and the degree to which women break from those gender uh, expected roles and normative behavior expectations determines the degree to which others will react to them. And so this is what we continue to see in, um, in the workplace, uh, especially in professions such as, you know, soccer. Construction, I think it is very rare. It's probably even, uh, if, if I'm not saying impossible, to find a woman in a construction uh, industry unless she holds a top higher managerial position. Um, uh, in engineering, uh, we are seeing more and more women entering this profession. Um, however, they still continue to face backlash, especially when it comes to reaching uh, top leadership positions. Um, because of role theory, um, because, and, and that explains that women remain caught, you know, even when they try, you know, they work really hard to prove themselves in these uh, industries and, uh, and these professions, but they're caught in a dilemma due to role incongruity theory, which suggests that regardless of the progress they make in their career, even after reaching leadership and managerial positions, they're still held to societal role expectations in the workplace. And so, again, when their roles are seen as incongruent with the set of societal expectations, then women continue to be judged negatively by other men in the workplace. And this happens more often in, uh, you know, in industries such as, you know, sports that are seen more for men, uh, construction, uh, engineering, and other, uh, these other industries within the Moroccan context. Futine, would you like uh, to add to what Dr. Luxury just said? Yeah, I completely agree with you, Siam, and you get, um, I mean, you, you gave uh, a clear view of the uh, professions that are not typically welcomed in the uh, not only in Morocco but also in other countries um, actually um, today we're seeing as I said many initiatives to reduce these disparities related to access to education health and uh, decent housing and so on but um, I can give you some men some numbers just to see um, how the woman, because you talked about the glass ceiling and you talked about reaching leadership positions, how women, um, for them, it's difficult to reach these positions. First, because the women's labor force participation is concentrated in lower productivity sectors. So primarily in the uh, textile and clothing industry, because, for example, in this sector, we can find like 46% of women or 47, and also in agriculture. Um, but they are, if I would like to say, in the lower part of the chain. Also, uh, if we see it from a, vert from a vertical segregation point of view, we only find 13% of over like 46,000, I think, companies we have in Morocco, 46,000 companies, we only find 30% are led by women. So we have a very, very low presentation of women in the executive position, and that only explains what you said, um, 
Siam. So, and only um, 3.5% of the companies here in Morocco have a female majority ownership. And even in the um, top managers or the boards, we can find only very, very few uh, female. So uh, we see that women are struggling to reach uh, really high positions. Um, I, I would like to give like just a small example of um, a project that I have worked with a big company here in Morocco uh, in working in the automobile sector. And I can say that the companies within this sector are struggling to attract women. Of course, needless to talk about the construction, aeronautics and engineering fields with, that are really suffering to attract women. But if we see to, or if we try to understand the real problematics uh, to attract women for these sectors, first of all, because it's a cultural uh, point of view, because people think that automobile, that soccer that aeronautics it's only made for one for men not for women so women are not welcome to this domain another thing is the um and that it was that shocked me because it was uh, said many times by the uh, women employees it was discrimination and sexual harassment so whenever women want to go from a certain position to another one and want to get promoted, she is harassed because men do not accept women um, excelling and like being better than, than them. So these kind of obstacles make women like just retire and they say, well, I prefer to take care of my family rather than going to work and struggling every day. So that was like a small example I wanted to share with you. Thank you, Foutine. In closing, I really would like, uh, I asked the guests to give our, our listener one or two breakthrough thoughts or idea. And so can you give us a, 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 maybe a, an idea about how gender equality in the workplace could be improved? Uh, in North Africa and specifically Morocco. Uh, and how do you see gender equality evolve in the next five years? So again, a breakthrough idea, and then how do you see um, the gender equality in, in Morocco evolve? Fatin? So we see that women participation in Morocco's labor force is still low, and actually it's a key factor in driving gender inequality. And the same for female entrepreneurs, they, they are still rare. Um, and for female entrepreneurship and cooperatives alike need to be encouraged and supported. So women are by large not reaching the leadership positions in private sector entities. So I think that we should keep efforts condensed and take advantage of the momentum to have a real impulse and therefore a real impact because without the impulse, we cannot have the impact. Otherwise, it will be difficult to feel these changes and follow the quick evolution that is happening around us. So the main breakthrough, I would say, is be impactful and keep the momentum. Dr. Lichet, we'd love to, to hear your thoughts. And, and can you tell us, um, I, I'm aware of an initiative that you started um, with your husband about giving exposure to women in sports. So uh, tell us what your breakthrough idea might be 
and, and tell us about your initiative. I think that would be a great way to close our podcast. Absolutely. Um, one of the main things I think would be to um, break those stereotypes because we continue to see that over and over again in all the backlash that women face on a daily basis in the workplace, whether it is to in- enter the workforce or to, you know, climb up the, their career ladder and reach managerial and leadership positions, they still continue to face backlash. So changing those stereotypes, changing the mentality would be the first step for us to uh, make those changes. Um, the lack of work-life balance is another big issue. For instance, there was a study that I did that was recently published um, that focused on Moroccan women and their perception of work-life balance. And we found that only multinationals invested in work-life balance programs. Um, Unlike Moroccan organizations that actually have more Moroccan women, uh, they did not have any work-life balance programs. So I think that adopting work-life balance programs would be a very important first step to undertake uh, by Moroccan organizations uh, because this is already being done by multinational and international organizations. You mentioned the project that my husband and I are working on, which is to basically break those and change those stereotypes. Uh, we are trying to raise awareness, and that's what we are going to continue doing. That's what needs to be done. Uh, it has to start from the from uh, an early age, educating our kids uh, and the younger generation that uh, women are just as capable as men to do any job. Uh, we shall hope that you'll be heard uh, and that your project grows exponentially. Thank you very much to both of you for your insights, uh, for sharing your experiences and and knowledge uh, with us. Uh, Thank you again. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dear Human Resources. In each episode, you will hear about current HR topics and trends from experts, both practitioners and researchers, with the goal of giving you an insider's look at human resources.